Welcome to the Radical Lifestyle Podcast, brought to you by Generation to Generation, where you'll be inspired by the past, equipped for the present, and prepared for the future as we engage in conversations with people from around the world. If you've been inspired by the guests that we've had on the podcast, please like, subscribe, comment, hit notification bells, whatever you can do on the platforms that you're listening on, so that more people have the opportunity of hearing these and engaging in our community. Hi everyone, this is Andrew and Daphne. Our guests today are Josh and Emma Quisenberry. Now for people that don't know who you are, could you just say a bit about where you're from and what you do? Yeah, um, we are here in Uganda, in Kachili, Uganda. We have the joy of running the GEM Foundation, which is a home for abandoned children with special needs and disabilities. Yeah, and we're from the States originally. Whereabouts we've in America? Here uh, so I've lived all over, um, California, Florida, North Carolina, Wyoming, Idaho, Colorado. Oh, Colorado is where we, we dated in high school. Uh-huh. Um, and then she moved here when I went to university. Yeah. Been in Uganda for 10 years now. Yeah. And then wow. I came two years later. So I've, this month I'll make eight years in the country. Okay. And then for people that hear this, they want to find out more, check out what you're doing. Where could they do that? Yeah, we've got thegemfoundation.com. Uh, so okay. thegemfoundation.com. And then we're also the same on Instagram and Facebook. Okay. Um, I think Instagram is the Gem Foundation Uganda. Okay, I'll, I'll find the links and um, I'll put them in the description box. So for people listening, watching, they can go there and they'll be ready for them to go and check out. Um, so uh, what is some of your background? And um, how did you end up there? <laughs> um, I, when I was, since I was a little girl, I was around like six when I first really felt called to Africa to be a missionary. Um, I prayed about it and my parents really, my parents are pastors. And so my dad is, and parents have always had a heart for missions and, and sharing the gospel. And I just really felt this burden for Africa. And I started praying like, Lord, would you send me? And I think my mom was like, I don't know why God wouldn't send you like you're asking. And I just really felt compelled that I was called to Africa. And then around seven or so, it really became Uganda. I had not met anyone from Uganda. I I think when I first started praying it, my mom said she had to go look at a map to find where Uganda was because she's like, what? And I just think that the Lord was just now preparing my mom's heart for for then, but I first had the opportunity to come to Uganda in 2008 on a short-term mission trip. Um, I was 13 and I landed in Uganda and I just looked, my dad was with me and I looked over at him and I'm like, dad, I'm home. Like, this is it. I feel, I don't know. I just felt like that's exactly where God wanted me. And then um, I have uh, an uncle with special needs and siblings with special needs. And so I really felt through the years that God was calling me to start a home that would specialize in taking care of special needs because there were, there were babies homes or orphanages that would take care of normal children. And there was just nowhere that could like handle their special needs care. And I just, I had seen how well, like my siblings were doing with um, physical therapy or occupational therapy, or just how much more a child could do if they had those resources. And so, um, yeah, I felt that that's what God had called me to do. And so I moved here. Yeah. 10 years ago. And that's, where it started yeah a long a long process but god has been faithful every step of the way and um 
yeah. Looking back, I wouldn't have thought this is where we'd be now, but God has been so incredibly faithful. I think your parents must be quite key in this because you gave a couple of clues. One, you were a child that could hear the voice of God. Your parents understood you were a child that could hear the voice of God because they didn't sort of say, oh, well, that can't be. And, you oh, know, isn't that cute? Isn't that cute? Yes. Uh, and then they kind of walked beside you, even though it must have not been easy for them. They, they walked beside you through through the years. Am I right? Yes. My parents were very supportive. And, um, yeah, I have always really pointed me to the Lord. My parents um, love Jesus. They've adopted a bunch of kiddos as well. And so just, like, having their heart for the nations, I think, definitely is also what burdened my heart if that makes sense as well, just like his, even like hearing the Lord's voice or anything like that. Like my mom was definitely, my mom and dad were very instrumental in that. Um, and yes, it was, they were very um, like supportive in helping me pursue that calling. Cause it would be very easy to say like, ah, oh, we're not going to do that <laughs> or anything like that. But they were even willing to come and, um, and serve here in Uganda so that I could come because that's where I'd always felt called to come. So yeah. And and now they're the ones that run the U.S. side of the donor relations fundraising, which allows us to free up all our time uh, to be intentional and on ground. Because, um, I mean, in the 10, 10 years and eight years, we've only spent 16 weeks outside of the country. Um, and that's, that's, I mean, really uh, the big key is the fact that her parents right, can can visit churches on our behalf and, and share. Um, and then, yeah, allowing us to do that. So they've even been instrumental in, in continuing the mission um, mm -hmm. as we're here serving, which has been great. Wow. Where do they live? Arizona, Phoenix area. Arizona. Uh, and then, uh, Josh, what about you? What's your background? Uh, so uh, I've got 11 siblings and... Um, parents are also pastors, which is how we, we met when I was nine and, uh, Emma was seven. We met at a pastor's conference that both of our parents were at. Um, and back in those days, a pastor's conference was, uh, was our vacation. That's, it was like, oh, we're, we're going somewhere for a pastor's conference. So that's, that's the family vacation this year. Mm -hmm. Um, so we met on the playground. Emma doesn't remember it. I remember it vividly. Um, and then, yeah. And then through the years. Um, siblings had, uh, like she was friends with my younger sister. Um, and I think, let's see, at the time I was probably living in Florida. So I was like five or six. And I used to tell my siblings that, uh, I would run an orphanage, but none of the kids would be adoptable. They'd all be my, I'd have a hundred kids. Um, my, my oldest sister reminded me of that. And, uh, I told her, well, we're almost, we've almost cared for a hundred kids. So I've almost made my five-year-old goal. Um, but then through the years, my aunt was instrumental. Um, she was working with Wycliffe Bible translators in the hills of Lima, Peru, working with the Quechua people. Um, and I can remember when she would come home on furlough, uh, she would tell stories of, of working in Peru um, and flying with either JARS or MAF aviation to get into remote areas. Um, and so I had a love for aviation. Um, and so I saw, oh, this is, I could do, I could do piloting and missions. Um, 
and then so that's what I pursued in in college was I studied aviation um, as well and then I did a I did an internship with MAF in Mozambique where I got to fly doctors and missionaries into little dirt strips um, uh, and then I had done what five or six missions trips with our Colorado church to Uganda. Um, so I'd been to Uganda before and always felt as a kid that Africa, um, even though my aunt was from South America, I always felt like Africa was was where I was being called. Um, I actually requested that my mom would let me take French or Swahili or something in high school because I was like, let me use a language that I might end up using on, on the continent. Um, I had to do Spanish instead, which was a bummer. But uh it's probably a headache for the school if they've got to find a teacher that does Swahili or something like that. No, so, well, so homeschooled. So it was my mom that was. Oh, okay. So that's why I was uh, I was petitioning her, but we'd already bought the Spanish curriculum for older siblings. So uh, I was grandfathered in. Um, and then, so yeah, so did some trips here. Um, and then we dated through high school. Um, we, when I moved to college, she was moving to Arizona. I was in California. Um, long distance was wasn't didn't work well. Um, I was a horrible communicator, um, and we ended up breaking up. Um, and then over text, which was my, you know, the the final nail in the coffin. I broke up over a text message, um, and then Emma moved here. Um, I did my aviation internship, and then. Uh, we hadn't spoken for nine months. I tried making amends uh, multiple multiple times because I knew immediately that I made a, a horrible mistake uh, when we broke up. Um, and then did a motorcycling trip through Tanzania, Rwanda, Uganda, and Kenya because um, I wanted to see I wanted to see other countries in Africa to see was Uganda actually the place that God wanted me, or was it because that's the only country I'd been to. Mm-hmm. Um, and day number one in Uganda on my three month motorcycling tour, um, in, in the capital city of Kampala of 3 million people, um, I ran into Emma who I hadn't seen or talked to in nine months. Um, and then, but that was in a parking garage, like a parking lot in passing. So there was no, there was no talking, um, but we both saw each other, um, and then the following day, mm-hmm. I went with uh, a mutual friend that we knew that was delivering shoes to an orphanage two hours out in a village. Um, I was along for the ride. So I went with him. We had probably a hundred little foam shoes that we were taking to an orphanage that I'd never been to. Um, and as we were driving on this small dirt road, he turned around and looked at me and said, uh, do you have a homing beacon? And I, and I was like, what, what do you mean? And, uh, then sure enough, I see ahead, there's a, there's a van, um, and who is at the same orphanage two hours outside of the city delivering food. Um, it was Emma delivering food to the, the same orphanage that we were delivering shoes to. Um, so we had to talk. There was no, right. You're in the middle of nowhere. Um, nowhere to go. <laughs> yeah, nowhere to hide. Um, so we talked. And um, the following evening, I received an email from Emma asking if we could do coffee the following day. 
Um, and we, so we did coffee, uh, made amends and apologies for our, our stupidity, um, then hung out, uh, remained friends, communicating. I went back to school. I think like two years later. Yeah. A year later I did a trip because that was while Emma was going through all the bureaucracy of legally registering and licensing a children's home. Um, there's a lot of red tape in Uganda for that. Um, and so I went back to the States, came back a year later after the home had been, I always say I came back when the hard part was done, um, all that kind of stuff. So came back and surprised her and asked if we could date. Um, so we, we got, um, started dating again. Then I visited, that was July. Mm -hmm. Then I visited again in December for Christmas and proposed. And then we got married here in March um oh, eight years ago so yeah. it's been a while um, wow. so i'm surprised at something you said um first of all i think it is generally known the orphan crisis in uganda or in africa is is phenomenal and yet it seems there's a lot of red tape to be able to set up a home um why is that there that dichotomy I think, I mean, there's there's a lot of homes in Uganda, a lot of homes or ministries, um, but there's not a lot of registered homes. So the government does have like a law and a policy that you should follow. Um, I think it, the biggest thing is a lot of people, I mean, start homes to, to create donations. And that is a big um, challenge, I would say. And yeah. so the government has come up with a set of laws and rules, which are good and should be upheld and... Um, there, for instance, a child shouldn't share a bed. A child should have their own bed. They should have a safe structure over their head versus a lot of, I think because of with the age of social media has grown a lot, it's like kind of cool or something to have a home or a ministry or something. And so because of that, it's also created a lot of more challenges, if that makes sense. So yes, there was a long work process, but we wanted to do things the right way. And we always wanted to be a home and a ministry of integrity and honesty. And so it was really important to us that we followed the rules that are there. And even when we were getting ready to open, like we had, there's a law book. So you have like, it's a little teeny thin a handbook. Book, handbook. Yeah, and um, and so we were going through it just like I had with Yvonne and Seth and going through to make sure we met everything before we opened. And um, you then get an approval like certificate that goes in your home showing you have capacity. It will tell you how many children you're allowed to have. Um, what, and they will come and assess with a team like health inspector, a government social worker. Um, there's a variety of different people on that board that are supposed to come and view it and see it and make sure it's legit and supposed to be, um, that way. Um, and so they, they did come, we requested them to visit and they had come and then they're like, but why don't you have children yet? And we're like, because you're not supposed to. And they're like, oh, most homes have children. And then after they, they chase getting the right certificate and we were like, no, we want to do things we always want to do things the right way, which would honor Christ and not be the other way around, which we found a lot of favor, even um, with the government authorities who would usually close illegal homes or anything. They, they came and they were like, we'll write you a recommendation because what you're doing is the right thing. So we found that that was really, God definitely blessed that. And we had a lot more favor with different government officials or local council or different people we were working with because they saw that what we wanted to do was to honor Christ and to follow the guidelines that the government had made. So 
yeah, we were one of the first like approved homes too. And then Emma's also that. extremely persistent. Um, there were there's there's a lot of corruption within the government. Um, so sometimes they're also waiting for little envelopes maybe that will help move things along. You're talking um, about thank you letters. Is that that's what you're yeah. talking about? Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so there was, I mean, there were some offices that people wanted to refuse to give a recommendation letter. Mm-hmm. So Emma would just show up every day at the office with with the paper that needed a signature. Um, yeah, I would. With the book and just kind of read out in front until the office hours closed. And there's this one office I sat in front of um, many, many days because I needed the signature to open gem. And um, I just kept sitting, I kept sitting. And every day she'd see me, she'd be like, oh, you're here again. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just waiting for, you know, the signature. And um, it definitely paid off because one day she walked out with the letter signed and was like, here's your letter. I'm sick of your face, please. (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah, she was a tough lady. Um, Yeah, but anyway, God like honored that persistence and we never had to pay a bribe or had to pay transport anything for that because people came through yeah in that way so it meant a lot of waiting but god is faithful in it too. yeah and a lot of waiting especially in the early years that as different officials would come and see the persistence that we were never going to waver on on those values um and now instead of them putting off and putting off they know okay jim we're not getting anything from jim um so they'll just come and sign off normally and um yeah every now and then you get someone that's new that uh sometimes they ask for something in the office and then you bring them and they see the kids that we're caring for and a, a light bulb switches and they realize that uh, the kids we're helping really need help um and so it's uh their attitude changes and they're very helpful to to see the our kids continue to get the care they need, so mm. so, so yeah, a lot of just God's favor. Everyone loves stories. Can can you give us um, a couple of stories about the children that you have brought in? You must have hundreds, but hey, just pull out one each. Um, I guess I'd say Tony. Tony was my my special little guy. Um, he. We had gotten, we had received a phone call about a child who was being abused um, with special needs in the community. And so Josh and I went along with one of our social workers and we drove out to this community. It was like an hour and a half, probably outside of the city. And so we had driven out and we were, we were near the rough area with this person that was referring the case. Um, But we didn't know where or which house it was or anything and so we kind of pulled over and parked and just like started walking around this village knocking on doors and so we'd knock and say like with our with our staff member and stuff and translating and saying you know do you have a child with special needs do you have a child with special needs and everyone no, 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 do you know no, a child no. with special, a child needs, in with special needs in this community because we knew the rough area but not the home and um we got to this one house and so i knocked and asked you know, do you have a child with special needs? And they said, no. And um, behind them, you could see like a door, another door behind. Most people live in like a one room room and that would be like their main main room. And so behind her was another door. And the door, I kid you not, I kind of asked and she's like, no. And behind the door blew open. And you could see 
Tony, um, who was severely abused and had been beaten and bruises all over his body. You could see him laying on like a corner little mattress on the, on the ground that was like ripped and, and broken. Um, and, um, like he, skin, he, and bones. skin and bones, he looked like, like death, like terrible. I've never, I've never seen such a terrible condition of a child. Um, and just like, I think he was 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was just like the bruises all over his body. He was naked. He was not covered and just like he had cerebral palsy. And so he was like hunched up, um, and kind, just, of, kind of stuck in the fetal position. He couldn't move. He couldn't do anything for <clears> himself. And so he just was left there day in and day out, not fed, not taken care of, um, abused and beaten. And um, yeah, his dad was the town drunk. Um, it was a really, and so he just kind of would take out anything, anything on him. Uh, he had siblings that were, it wasn't that the family lacked because his siblings were, were healthy, mm-hmm. um, going to school. Um, but yeah, he was because of his special needs. He wasn't on any, they had some family photos on the wall. He wasn't in any of the family photos. Um, he just was the invisible child. Mm-hmm. Um, so the government, the government social workers got involved and we were able to remove him from their custody for like emergency child care protection. Um, and so Tony came home to us. Um, I was like, I'm not leaving until he can leave because he was so bad. I was like, you're not going to, he's not going to live if we don't take him with us. Um, and so we got the permission from the government official to take him home, which usually we don't take kids from families unless it's a severe like abuse case like that. That's the only time we primarily work with abandonment cases. We, or orphan cases. Or complete orphan cases. Maybe the mom has died and the dad's unknown and there's only a grandpa or something and that person can't take the severity of the child. But for um, Tony's needs because of his abuse and stuff, the government got involved and are like, we're removing him for emergency placement. Um, so he came home to us and he ended up having severe pneumonia. He needed like full oxygen support. Um, yeah, he was literally like, he would have died. I don't know how he honestly yeah, he held got put on, on a malnutrition diet, to... how, how he held on that long. Um, I can, I can send you guys a picture, but he, yeah, was severely, severely sick. Um, he ended up healing and doing incredible and he still had a lot of special needs, significant needs, but like, if I walked in the room, he would just like. I think he recognized that we had come and re- like he had come home to us because he, I could walk into the room and for nobody else, he wouldn't smile for anyone. But if I walk in and like Tony, he would like light up and give me like a huge smile. It was incredible. Um, yeah. He passed away a few years ago now um, because of his severe special needs. He had a, a seizure and stopped breathing. And um, I think that was 2018. He passed away, but he was, the most incredible little boy. And so sometimes the child is with us for a short season. He was with us for like four or five years. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're only with you for, yeah, a short season. Sometimes they're with us long-term, but we love each child that comes into our home wholeheartedly. So. Yeah. He learned how to play catch. So he would, he would grab a ball and he, he could throw the ball. Um, so we'd go out in the yard and, and play catch together. Um, he was a great yeah, and the and the before and after, just a three month, the three month before and after photo. You can't even tell that he was the same kid. Mm-hmm. Um, just the difference, and I think the big thing, uh, less even about the the change in their physical body in that short period. Um, I think the thing that always gets me is when when a child first comes in. They're oftentimes, I mean, we don't know what most of our kids go through their past. Like Tony was 
was a glimpse into one family and one child's past. But I mean, most kids, uh, a child is dumped somewhere and you have no idea other than where they were found, their their history or their background, or um, if they were loved previously, and was it just the one family member that was caring for the child passed away? Um, you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. So oftentimes kids come in and you can tell there's there's extreme fear behind their eyes. Um, yeah, I mean, and with Tony, it almost looked like he wasn't there anymore. Like he had just given, given up. Um, and just seeing the difference, even in the eyes and their countenance when they start receiving love um, is incredible. Um, mm-hmm. Just to see that transformation yes. of the face um, mm-hmm. and the life and the joy that comes back. Mm-hmm. We've had um, a, one little girl came in one time and I had not been there when the, like the police had brought her. And um, I think I was out. I don't know. I came in probably an hour after she had arrived um, with the, with the police and everything. So I went over and I was like, hi, I'm Emma, like going to introduce myself and like put out my hand just to like shake her hand. Cause she's like 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And I put out my hand and she like flinched and covered her head. Like she was so scared that I was going to hit her. And all I was doing was going to say like, hello. Now she's the child who comes up and hugs, yeah, you, hugs you, you walk in. <laughs> so it is incredible to see definitely the transformation. We've had one little girl come in at seven years old, weighing six pounds, which sorry, we're in kilos here, two kilos. Yeah. She was seven years old and weighed two kilos. And now she's like huge smiles. Um, she's still tiny for her age. Cause when a child goes through like severe malnutrition, they never pick up fully. They will have some yeah, lifelong complications yeah. and, and stunting and different stuff. But yeah. um, then I think for me, one of my favorite is uh, we had a boy who was uh, named Shafiq. Mm. Um, and he was, found in the community as uh, they thought abandoned. Um, So they found out he had epilepsy and cerebral palsy. Um, And he came in um, and just within, well, probably he was not walking, not talking, not feeding himself. Um, And I remember it was only a couple weeks later that I came in and saw, I was like, oh, who's that that greeted me as I drove, drove in? And I was like, oh my gosh, that's Shafiq. Like he was, he started walking. He was, um, he greeted me. He's like, hi, uncle. Um, but he used to always, he would, he would cry saying, I just want to go home. I just want to go home. Um, and so when a child comes in, we always, um, we have our team of social workers that will start canvassing the area where the child was found. Um, we'll put up flyers. Uh, we'll pay to put, put their pictures in the newspaper. Um, we will, um, put them on the radio, uh, TV adverts, trying to locate any family members uh, or relatives. Because we have had cases before where um, a child, uh, we have a paternal society in Uganda. So like if a father decides he wants to leave, he can just take the kids. There's no like shared custody or, um, and there's there's really not a whole lot that a mom can do to prevent that. Um so we've had cases where a father took the daughter and then abandoned her later. And the mom had no idea that, that her daughter was not being cared for. Um, so our, our social workers were working and we put, um, we were going through the, the, the market where he was found and nobody recognized him. Nobody knew him. And we're like, what? Shafiq mm-hmm. was probably 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're like, he he's like, 
had a long life, surely someone in the area would have seen him, heard him, um, and looking, 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 and we we weren't able to find anything. Finally, we were able to um, put him on the the local TV channel in Luganda, mm. um, and we picked like a prime time slot that we were told this is like, I think it was a Friday or Saturday when most people are tuning in, um, and we essentially put a, a, an advert saying like lost child, please call this number if you know any if you know him or the family. Um, so that went out and we found out, um, we found out afterwards that on, uh, Sunday, his mother's best friend had seen the the radio or the TV advert and called the mom and said, Hey, I saw your son on TV. Mm-hmm. So she showed up at the police on Sunday, um, to ask for her son. And, and they told, they told her that we only worked on Monday to to Friday. We were closed on the weekend. Um, so come back on Monday, which we corrected them later. And we said, if a parent comes, we, we open, we're open 365 days a year. Um, so, uh, fortunately she came back, uh, the next day. Um, and yeah, we have a video of, of him seeing his mom come through the gate and running, running to her. She had, uh, he had wandered off. He had walked over 40 kilometers from his house to the point where he was found, which is why no one knew him. And even when we were in companies, like we were looking at that area, we're like asking the market vendors if they know him. We were thinking, surely he's from this area. Not that he's come from that 40 kilometers away. Yeah. Um, So it was incredible to see the, uh, a family reunification. That mom had been going every weekend going from police station to police station. I think she even went to the morgue, the national morgue, think like thinking that maybe he got hit by a car or, um, so we've had, well, I think 16 mm-hmm. reunifications where we've been able to find, find family members. Uh, there's of course a lot of counseling. You need to find out who did the original abandoning. Um, what was the circumstances mm-hmm. behind that? And then find out, uh, right. Instead of, instead of reunifying a child back to the person who abandoned them, seeing, Hey, is there an aunt? Is there an uncle? Is there a grandparent mm-hmm. um, that can take on the responsibilities of the child? Um, so yeah, it's often a, a six month to year long process because even you can counsel the family and, and help them to understand why a child belongs in a family. And we often go, we have 80, 85% of the country claim profess to be Christians. Um, it's about a 50, 50 split, um, on whether they're uh, Catholic or, or, uh, uh, um, born again is the other term that Ugandans will use. Mm-hmm. Um, so we often go to the scripture, right. And, and show them, look, the scripture says that every child is, is a gift or a blessing, so how can you say that a gift or a blessing from God is a curse, mm-hmm. um, right? And trying to trying to break down those cultural stigmas because um, there's a lot of belief that it's maybe it's wish witchcraft or it's a curse. It's something that the mom must have done. Um, and so we do a lot of biblical counseling and then even just explaining from a scientific aspe- aspect. No, this is how cerebral palsy. Right. Like when you were in labor, maybe the child got stuck in the birth canal and mm-hmm. and that can cause X, Y or Z. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then beyond counseling the family, you have to do even community counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you just reunify that child back to the family, sometimes the family gets ostracized by the community. Um, so we've heard stories of the local salesmen of tomatoes won't sell you any tomatoes because they think it's contagious and they don't want, they don't want you to be around them. Um, so, but it's been all the work that's put into those reunifications. It's definitely worth it um, to seeing those kids thrive um, back in their home. We have some kids that um, the family can care for 99% of the child's needs. Um, the only thing that's out of reach is maybe their, their ongoing seizure prescription. Mm-hmm. Um, so we keep, we keep covering those costs um, because wow. if the only reason that child should be in a home is for lack of seizure medicine, well, let's, let's make sure we sponsor that seizure medicine so you can be with your family and we'll, we'll deliver it once a month, twice a month, whatever you need. So, so. with Tony, where did the initial referral come from? How did you find out about his his situation? It came from a community-based organization that just did like therapy in the community. And so they like an outreach clinic or something. And so that's how they heard about it. But when they heard about it, they just knew that like, there was no, like he's not going to live if he doesn't get more care. So So, like other ministries like that we work with and sorry, it's the wind is blowing doors. Oh no, no, we can't hear anything. Um, okay, so then you go, you you manage to find Tony, uh, you realize, okay, we're going to have to like extract him from this family. Um, Josh, you just mentioned about the stigma around kids with disabilities and, and the general population, their kind of attitude towards it. What about from a government level? When you go to the police, you say there's this kid with disabilities, uh, we need help to extract him from this horrific situation. What's their attitude towards it? Are they are they inclined to help just because it's a person that needs help? Or do they also have the similar attitude? So kid with disabilities, you know, just 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 leave him. I think it, it depends on the person. I think it's very much a heart issue. It depends on the person because we've had some government officials or sorry, police officers or something who'd be like, Ugh, or like kind of repulsed by the disability. We've also had people who are like, oh, sorry. Oh, thank you for the good work. Or like who who kind of have a heart for it. So I think it's very much a heart issue. Um, I think so much of life, it's different heart issues. But I know that we've had some some police officers who have been very kind and are like very compassionate and are like, we need to do something for this child. Like it's not okay. And also even just saying like uh, for a child's rights, like he deserves more than this. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had some who've wanted to get involved and wanted to like, do something more and we've definitely had some who it's not as easy to work with but um i think it it depends on the case yeah i mean we've had cases where we tried going to court on behalf of the child and the uh i mean that one was an attempted murder case um and the the judicial system they really didn't want to be bothered by they're like, oh, it's just a by such an insignificant case in mm-hmm. their in their mind. Yeah. Um and you'd you'd show up on the on the court day and then they'd say, Oh, we're not hearing your case. Come back on on this day or or do this. And you'd you'd do all those things, you'd come back the next time and and still you'd get a, mm-hmm. a brick wall each time. Um so yeah, and I think it, it does it does come down to the heart, a condition of the heart. Um are you seeing these kids as made in the image of God or 
as a burden. Um, and that's, I mean, that's the reason behind the reason we're called the gem is because we believe that each of our kids have an infinite and they're priceless and valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So mm-hmm. a, a gem, a gem being dug up in a quarry doesn't look like the thing you put on your ring. Um, it, it takes some cleaning up. It takes some polishing, some working on. Um, so that's, that's one of our goals is to restore the value. a value of, of all children, including children with disabilities. So, um, Matthew 18, the parable of the lost sheep, which is a course about children. And, um, He says he's not willing that one of these little ones should perish. And so really, at the end of the day, this is about the will of the Father. It's not about our will. It's not about our designs. But will we line up with the will of the Father? And sometimes in our conferences, we'll talk about, uh, well, most times we'll talk about this parable. Most people think in Matthew 18, it's also about evangelism, but it isn't. It's about it's about a whole chapters about children up to that point. And we say, you know, if, if a father came running in, crying because he'd lost a child, everybody would be out their seats and wanting to go around the streets and, and say, we'll help you find you. Where do you think you can be? We'll be out there. Um, and we say, well, tonight there is a father running in saying he's lost a child and he's not willing that child should perish, but it, it's our heavenly father. So... You know, I I honour you both um, in that you don't, in inverted commas, just see a child with special needs, but it's the heart of the matter and the heart of the father that you're pursuing. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, that's our goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What I mean, you- that's what we're blessed with, with all the staff that we have. They've... Um, people often ask us like, what are the qualifications of your, of your nannies or your caretakers for these staff? And we, we tell them all the time, we want to make sure that they have the right heart. Cause if, if they have the heart for the kids, we can, we can train them and teach them all the rest. Um, we've had people come in with lofty degrees, uh, what we had someone, an occupational therapist that came in all these great degrees and all this stuff. And one of the things that we do in the first month, regardless of the position you're being hired for is you spend at least the first week caring for and with the kids. Um, So that's helping them feed, helping them get dressed, uh, right. Changing, changing diapers sometimes. Um, And, and we had the, the person that was all gung ho for the occupational therapy position um, but I think what day two, day three, they they called us and said, "Yeah, I'm I'm not coming back." Um, and we're like, "Well, if if you had the heart for the kids, everything else just comes after that." Mm-hmm. So that's always um, we're blessed with the that the 90 staff we do have all have that that heart and are wanting to see the kids um, loved and and cherished. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned earlier that there's a, a limit in terms of the amount of kids that you can take in. Um, what what is that limit that you have? We're we're actually full. Our limit is forty five. Okay. Um, we have forty. Have forty nine. Yeah, we have four that are extra. technically in like an emergency placement. Uh-huh. We're um, waiting. We're current. We have three homes, so we're not just in one building. We have three homes. Um, it's created to be a village, so there's three different homes and different needs. 
but we have a fourth poem that's going to be finished in, in June. June. And then there will only be 12 children in each home when that happens. Um, the homes are, are big, though. They can actually sleep more like 20. But our goal is to be smaller because we prefer to be more like a family unit instead of so at full capacity. But with different holidays and stuff, we had four extra. We're always supposed to have an extra capacity for an emergency placement so that if they call and say a child is sleeping at the police, there's nowhere for them to go. We can, we can receive this child. Um, and then we are actually launching the first assisted living program here in Uganda. And so we have construct constructed the home. It's ready. It's just waiting for government approval to open because they've never had an assisted living program for adult children. And in Uganda, a child at 18, they age out of the children's home. And so we actually have four adults who are supposed to move in. Um, it's ready. It's beautiful. It has everything it needs. It's just waiting for the government approval. They said to write a proposal and explain what explain what is what, adult what assisted is. living care. Um, and so we had seen that model in the U.S. I'm sure you have it in the U.K. as well. But like it's an amazing program for adults to be able to reach full independence. And um, so we really had a heart to bring it to Uganda and we're really excited about it. So if we receive approval, then we'll actually be at the right capacity, if that makes sense. But our limit is 45. Um, with us adding the fourth home, they would come back out and do another inspection and see if they can raise our capacity. But they only do that when you say like, okay, we've added a building, then they'll come out. So in June, when it's finished, we can do that. And then with the assisted living home opening, um, it will give us another capacity because we do have children waiting, wait, like who would like to, they'd like to transfer. Um, but we primarily try to reserve it for the more complex, like more severe, kids. severe cases because we're good at that. And some ministries can handle more mild special needs. So, yeah. Yeah, we've been able to help. Um, but when we were still living in the city and we had even less space than we do now, um, but still had homes that were saying, hey, we've got a child with with cerebral palsy. Can you can you take them? Um, so we were able to go out and assess and and do some trainings with those homes and and kind of help them out and show like these are these are very um uh easier ways of caring for this type of need or um because sometimes it's I mean we've had times where you take a child to the hospital and sometimes the doctors aren't sure what they're what they're supposed to do or um and we I mean we've had cases where they they're so caught up by maybe a physical um disability that they don't realize that the reason you're there is because the child needs oxygen and isn't breathing or um, right. And you just have to be like, no, 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 that's for that child. Those feet, the feet like that are normal. The reason we're here is, is for this. Um, mm -hmm. And so we've been able to work with other homes to care for the more mild um, cases. And then that allows our, um, our spaces to kind of be reserved for the kids that, I mean, well, at one time we had, um, Johnny had five different special needs. Um, so hydrocephalus, uh, cerebral palsy, mm -hmm. um, epilepsy, mm -hmm. what was it, spina bifida, mm -hmm. um, and was it scoliosis? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it just was this one little body with all these other syndromes or isms put on him. Um, and he was a fighter, but... Um, so did you, have you learned... On the job, as it were, you're coming out. We, you know, we tell them no, he needs oxygen or something like this. Is this acquired um, experience and acquired knowledge? 
Yes. 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 <laughs> we're not medically trained. We have, we have amazing team of nurses and medical staff. We are not medically trained. Um, aside from like first aid basic stuff. No, but yes, we definitely have learned a lot. Yeah. With caring for our kids. Um, I definitely couldn't use like a pulse oximeter or anything before, but we purposely have medical staff on shift, um, day and night shift. We always have, um, yeah, an incredible team. Yeah. But I mean, in the early days we were the, we used to live above on the second floor of the home. Um, and so we were the, the emergency ambulance in the night, um, or things like that. And I mean, the, the, the way medical care is here and the hospitals are, uh, you see so much more than what you would ever right in the U S would be like, okay, we've got them from here. You, you go wait in the waiting room. No, I mean, here it's, I mean, sometimes you're in the, you're in the room, the ER with them as they're doing all sorts of stuff. So, I mean, when you just spend as much time inside the hospitals as we have been privileged, I guess, to do, um, you, you do end up like picking up and then, right. Just the same way when you're around your kids, you can kind of tell, no, this is the way this child acts when, when X, Y, or Z. Uh, mm -hmm. So just, yeah. just one side question, just out of personal curiosity. So you say that you partner with Watoto. Do you have anyone, people on staff who have been through Watoto and are now helping these children? By the way, th that was us talking before we started recording. Yes. So people may not have known oh, that, but yeah. Yes. But so yeah, so the church we attend, that our lo our home church is Watoto. We go, they have 16 campuses nowadays, but we attend the original campus in central downtown. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, they were our original partner um, before I was around when, when Emma opened, mm -hmm. they referred 11. Yeah, 11 cases. Our first 11 kids were, we opened on opening day with partnering with Washita. Yeah, and then through those years, um, uh, Watoto does a discipleship program when kids graduate, kind of either, either in their gap between university and high school or after university before going into the, the workplace. Um, so oftentimes we were one of their uh, their um, ministry out, outreaches, or maybe they'd come on a Thursday. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so we've had in in Uganda, they call them mutotos when they like the kids who have grown up in Watoto. Um, and so we have, we've been blessed to employ um, a number of mutotos and they're always very hardworking. Um, and I mean, right, they have the heart. They they know what, what a difference it makes. Mm -hmm. Um kind of having a similar uh, a similar past story, right? And then the opportunity that's given. Um, so our, our farm manager, because uh, so one of the things we moved out of the city, God blessed us with the ability to buy 88 acres of, of land. Um, so the kids, the kids facility, we have 10 acres mm -hmm. where the four homes are. And then we have a medical center um, that Lord willing will open this year. Um, the lockdown of COVID and all that stuff delayed, delayed the opening of a medical center. Um, and then our plan is to, to build a special needs inclusive school so that our kids have a place to, to grow and learn. And then there's even a spot for a church to be built. Um, and then the other 70, um, 78 acres, we have the assisted living buildings that are on that so that it's kind of separated and, 
um, and apart from the children's home side. So once we get approval for that, um, and then we're farming. So we're do, we've got dairy cows, goats, pigs, mm-hmm. chickens, um, and then we're growing uh, a plethora of crops that the kids are eating so that we know that they're getting a very healthy and nutritious diet. But mm-hmm. our our farm was not doing well in the in the early days. And then um, our farm manager, who actually was hired as a caretaker for our boys, um, and he was a graduate of Watoto. He grew up um, in their villages. Um, we were we were sitting down chatting, and I found out that oh, he's actually studying agriculture in in university, and his passion is is farming. <clears throat> um, and I was like, oh, well, you're an amazing nanny, like you're an amazing caretaker for your boys, but we should be using your passion and your gifting. So. Um, yeah, when he was able to, he's taken over the farm and um, he, he's turned it around and it's 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 doing really well. So, yeah, we're really wow. we've been blessed to be able to partner with Watoto in that way as well. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a bit breathless. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this this is just amazing. It's quite the operation. Quite the operation. Eight years. I mean, it, it's ten, well, eight and ten. Yeah, I was going to say you're not done much then. <laughs> so yeah, you've been this is around. really incredible, and I love the redemptive aspect of those that have come from the streets that have been through Watoto and now giving back to this to others. And I think that is um, that is God's economy. Mm. I'm not saying they should all be, but I think when you see that happening, that really is God's mm. economy. And and it's really cool as well that you do when you can aim to reconcile uh, parents to their kids. Um, that, that I really like that as well. Uh, maybe as we as we finish, um, what are some ways that people can help? Can maybe get involved? Um, I know, like my brother-in-law, um, he's a paramedic, and he used to go out to Africa quite frequently and he would go and do training hospitals and um, help them with their medical stuff maybe just give them some more up-to-date technologies stuff like that but um, even showed them how to use flow charts I think it was that simple putting flow charts up yeah yeah so uh, maybe as we finish could you just talk a bit about um, you know what what can people people do to engage in what you're doing Um, are there volunteer things stuff like that I, I think, first of all, they can pray for us. They can pray for the kiddos. Um, we are receiving more phone calls for abandoned children. You can pray that families would be found, that, you know, that children would continue to be, you know, the value would continue to be restored. Um, it's such a huge thing, like with education and just like sharing the the special needs with people. Um, so just even for the community that we live in. But I say would say prayer is the biggest Um I think also sharing our story or sharing the need um, for kids with special needs to be loved and cared for um, is huge as well. Um, another way would be we have sponsorship opportunities if people are interested in sponsoring a child every month. Um, but other ways we do have volunteer mission trips. Um, our next mission trip is in August um, where people will come and spend 10 days in country. And yes, we love having people with train to come and do trainings, whether you're a therapist or someone with a background who's worked with special needs. And even if you don't have a background necessarily, that could be for training, even just loving on the kids would be great. Um, 
we have this one lady who has come several times who has children with special needs herself. And so it's always been a ministering thing for the nannies even to see like, look, I have a child with special needs and like, thank you for serving and loving the kids, you know, because it can be tiring to care for kids with special needs day in and day out. Um, so just encouraging the staff in that way. Um, but yeah, any type of degree obviously could be a blessing if you're a therapist or a special education teacher or a medical professional. Um, we have done m- multiple medical outreaches to the community because um, we, yes, we care for kids with special needs, but we also really want to impact our community and share the gospel. We live in a primarily Muslim community, and um, it's really important to us to share the gospel every chance we get. And so this last year, we did two medical camp outreaches, and we had a team of 60 volunteers, Ugandan volunteers, doctors and nurses, and surgeons. Ultrasound techs. Just lots of Ugandans who had heard about the need, and we, we advertised in advance. We sent out this, like, WhatsApp message and different things that went out to different people, and it brought a ton of volunteers. We had internationals also come on the trip and join. And um, yeah, we ministered to almost a thousand people who came in through our gates. And when they came through, we also had a prayer tent. So they received physical healing. And then we even had people receive spiritual healing. Like yeah, people we had 46 came to people that came to Christ. And that was just so incredible to also be an impact in our community. So yeah, whether it's a team, but if, if someone's interested in a team, they could send us an email at office at the gem foundation.com or they can also message on our social media platforms if that's easier and we can connect with them through that. But yeah, okay. that's the biggest thing. Praying is always huge. Sounds good. Josh, Emma, thank you. Really appreciate you taking the time. Again, if you're listening, go check out uh, the social media, the website, get in touch with them if you uh, want to get involved. So thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. It's great meeting you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Remember, if it inspired you, share it with others so we can see more people engaged in this community.